this is Listeners, welcome to the fantastic future year of 2021. Welcome to another episode of Warp Celluloid, first of the year. I am your host, Jack Rourke, with my esteemed, illustrious co-host. Chandler Williams. Thanks, Jack, for the introduction. How's it going, Mr. Chandler? How's it going today? Pretty good. You know, I got a bunch of homework to do, so, you know. Start of a new year, start of a new quarter. Indeed. And so we're for the course. Yeah, back in the swing of things. Uh, yeah. yeah, how about you? How about yourself? I'm doing all right. I'm just, I uh, I quit smoking recently, so that's feeling good. That's good. Yeah. Proud anyway. of you. Thank you, thank you. That's good to hear. And speaking of New Year's resolutions, one of the most common ones is improving health, whether it's exercising, diets, and speaking of health, that brings us to today's film. Chandler, what is going to be the movie we're kicking off 2021 with? This film is A Cure for Wellness. There is a sickness inside us. Rising like the bile that leaves that bitter taste at the back of our throats. It's there on every one of you seated around the table. Only when we know what ails us can we hope to find the cure. What do you make of that? Clearly lost his mind our thoughts exactly i'd like you to go to switzerland and bring mr pembroke back to us what we offer here is a process of purification away from the pressures of the modern world your plan is to take mr pembroke back with you is that a problem he's a patient not a prisoner You here for the cure? No. Actually, I was just leaving. No one ever leaves. Welcome back, Mr. Lockhart. Signs of concussion. Depleted immune system. I would like to recommend a treatment. Think of it as a cleansing of the mind. As much as the body. Some patients experience visions. But rest assured, it's just the toxins leaving the system. There is a terrible darkness here. That was 200 years ago. This is happening now. You said no one ever leaves. What happens to them? I saw the bodies! Listen to yourself. You're not a well man. Trying to make me think I'm insane. What's happening to me? It's all part of the cure. There is no cure! Accept the diagnosis, and you will see it. It's wonderful here. I know I say this all. Like I always say this whenever, whenever we're done playing, trying to get with the usual preamble and playing the trailer and whatnot. But I don't know where to begin with this movie. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of all over the place and uh yeah. very it's a it's a mixed bag for me, honestly. Personally, I loved it. I mean, like I liked it. I liked it at first, but then I really got. The, I, I remember uh, around the time the Fox merger was finally getting wrapped up. Wrapped up. I, I was looking online and saw that a bunch of their Blu-rays were on sale for cheap, so I picked up Heat and, and uh, Cure for Wellness because I'm like, fuck it, they're not going to be uh, available after this, so might as well take advantage of it while I can. And uh, yeah, I when I got around to the Blu-ray in a couple months later, and it's kind of becoming one of my favorite horror movies of the last ten years. Nice. Well, that's that's good for you. Um, I I don't know. I I I was really looking forward to seeing this film, particularly when it came out because I didn't get to. Um, it didn't it didn't come to my town, so I was super excited to watch it uh, with you last weekend. But I don't know. I think I just I had high hopes for some reason and i was just expecting something different which i mean like i don't even know what i was expecting because this film is just it's something else if i'm not else. mistaken i remember you saying you were expecting something trippier yeah i don't know that's just the direction that the marketing led me in i guess um i don't know it's something not something as like adventure as this not something as gross or as gross and like theatrical and bombastic which yeah, yeah, because well, Gore Verbinski, which is probably gonna be the main topic of discussion, and trust me, this will not be listeners. This will not be the last time his name is uttered on this podcast. Wink, wink. I think I speak for both. <laughs> Funny because his, or in the name of his production company is Blind Wink. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yep. Funny how things line up sometimes. Anyway, yeah, I think I can. I, mean, I can uh, safely speak for both me and Chandler in saying that we are very big fans of Erna Verbinski. In his work, especially in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and and Rango, especially which may or may not be in the cards. Just saying. Yeah, just keep your keep your eyes out. No, but he he, he he's a great director, and I um I have a lot of respect for him. And it's one of those directors that until a few years ago, like, huh, this guy really is a, like really great. Like I remember, like, oh yeah, we're good to see him. We're making our movie. What's he got in store for us this time? And then I actually look back through his filmography, be like, shit, this is just a lot of great stuff. Stuff so because even when you get past the pirates and stuff and rang oh, like the stuff everybody knows, you still have the re the ring you have in the Mexican. Mexican uh, what else? What else? Mouse hunt, which is as as front of the show, Dal and Agatona stated one of the mean most mean spirited, cruel family movies ever made. I've seen parts of it and I do agree with that. It's I don't know. It's very grimy. Um, it's been at least a decade since I've seen Mouse Hunt, so I can't confirm, but. But I do remember it being very, very cruel. Maybe not outright nihilistic, but definitely something. He also did The Lone Ranger, which is a little more interesting. Than me, but I think people give him credit for The Weatherman with Nicolas Cage, which is actually pretty underrated. Yep. And he's last time I checked, I think he's producing a movie for Netflix, or an animated film for Netflix. I'm hoping that's still the case because I'd love to see him do animation again. Would you consider him a genre director? More or less. Yeah, I, I would he, agree. That's a really weird niche between auteur, an auteur and a journeyman. Like, he can do mainstream stuff. Again, like, the, the Mexican is a pretty mainstream romantic crime thriller. The Weatherman man is a pretty good dark dramedy type or anything. And or that don't really bear much of his signature standpoints. But everything everything else in his career, yeah, it's, a, it's very much a signature or a signature that's recognizable. Like, the or the way his action scenes are, stu- or are structured like Rube Goldberg machine. Machines, that bizarre sense of humor, the grossness of, of things. It's just odd in in the best way possible. Yeah, yeah, very, 
outlandish and kind of adventure-y, um, if that is a word. But uh, it, it makes swashbuckling, yes. And it makes Darn. so much sense that he made the parts of the Caribbean. Um, I don't know. It, and I don't, it's hard to like relate such a family film as the Pirates of the Caribbean to this. Because because... Some of the truly fucked up, horrifying things he puts on screen here, especially in like the last 20 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's this, something. This movie is never going to make you look at eels the same way again. Oh, no. The eels, I don't know. He, I don't know. So many fucking eels. eels. So, so many, many of them. Eels. <laughs> Actually, uh, it's funny you mentioned how you wanted to see this in theaters, because I remember when this came out when I was in high school, uh, I had a buddy of mine, we both wanted, really wanted to see this, but A, his parents would never let, let him, and B, this was right to the point where my parents were starting to let me see R-rated mo movies, and even going with me to the theaters, like, good God, they took me and my brother to see Kingsman and um, Mad Max Fury Road at, or in the drive-in, but uh, I knew they had their limits, and I know they were definitely not fond of horror movies, especially stuff as fucked up as this, so I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not making them sit through this, so we had ourselves a little idea. We'll just tell or our parents we're going to get lunch. Or in lunch, I'll just or I'll just tell or I'll tell my parents the truth. He'll lie to his. We'll say that's going to be like three or four hours. Or just so we can walk around. We lied, or of course, and uh, yeah, or yeah, we even found a time and a day to do it, and it fell apart because we had too much homework that weekend. High school. God, imagine seeing the. I we're seeing this in a theater, just like I wanted. To, I kind of want to be like a fly on the wall, just to see how disgusted and grossed out people were by this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, like at least for me, I was kind of led astray by the marketing, even though I saw it a few years after it came out. Um, yeah, I just wasn't expecting something as swashbuckling and kind of grotesque and like in your face, pulpy. vile. I think pulpy is the best way to put it. Yeah, pulpy. Yep. Because uh, this belongs to a very particular, very famous subgenre horror film, the gothic horror film, which is something we don't really get these days. Like the la the only other couple ones that are like wearing big notable titles I can think of are Crimson Peak and The Woman in Black, both of which pretty good. Good, but it's just something you don't really see all that much these days, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it, I I mean I would agree. Uh, would you allude that solely to the production design? What? Oh no, that right. makes it a gothic horror or not? It, well, that production design is definitely a big part of it, but story is there too. Like, sir, or you know, like, sir, if anything, goth, or if you want a case study for why location is such a bit important thing in storytelling, it's got to be gothic horror. Or I mean, because the setting is mo, or it is most of the subtext there, or there, and or a lot of what happens is because of where it is. Yeah, yeah, nice. I, and like. You know, back to the production design, it is incredible for this film. Like, oh my god. Definitely my favorite Definitely my favorite part of the film is, you know, the production design. If this wasn't like a, a nasty little horror movie that tanked at the box office and pretty much got savaged by most of the critics who saw it, I'd be shocked that this didn't get nominated for Best Production Design. Yeah. Because it is legitimately awe-inspiring. They get the, lo the location. And it is... 100% the movie Gore Verbinski intended to make. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which I, is a very rare treat these days, especially on this level. Yes, on something this big of a budget. Um, and I appreciate that it, or so it seemed, I appreciate that the majority of the budget went to the production design because I think it was very important to tell the specific story and uh, establish the very specific particular setting. 
Yeah, that and the color palette. Everything is, like, coated in one of those, like, mint green, green or just, like, regular green in some case. Because it looks toxic. Yeah, I, I really appreciate, like, the heavy, you know, almost monochrome color palette. Um, it's very distinct and cohesive. And uh, it looks awesome and terrifying when it needs to be. Yeah, like, there's some moments of this that I think stuck with me. Two moments in particular, but we'll get to that after we sum on the plot. But let me... If I were to just uh, pitch this movie to, like, some of my film-loving friends, if Crimson Peak is more or less an update of the Bram Stoker's Dracula that Coppola did in the 90s, this is more or less like a modern version of, like, a Jess Franco or Mario Baba movie. Okay, I don't I don't get that reference, but I'm gonna just agree Italian with you. Italian gothic horror movies from the 60s. <laughs> okay. Like, before Dario... Th these were the most famous names in Italian horror before Dario Argento and the whole Giallo scene came into focus. Nice, nice. You're you're just on a different level, dude. Yep. <laughs> I didn't get uh, out much in high school, and I watched too many fucking movies. What do you expect? <laughs> hey, that's okay. Um, yeah, uh, there were some really beautiful shots in this film. Also, um, I particularly loved. I think we both loved the shot. One of the early shot, earlier shots of the train where it like mirrors. Oh yeah, the one where it's attached to the side of the window, and it's reflect. It's reflecting in the window. You know, panels as it's going into the tunnel, which like so well done. So Although well I done. Up, I th though I think I brought this up to you when we were watching it together. Uh, it kind of terrified me just to, where it is like in my inner film student, like the imagining like the rig on the side of where they had to use to get the camera in the right pla placement to make sure it wasn't right. It didn't like smash into, right into the tunnel as it went the train entered. Yeah, my guess is that they opened one of the windows, and so it was like. It, it was rigged awesome. inside of the train um, just to get the, the lens like that close to the other window, like close to, to the glass. Um, I, I highly doubt they would have put it on the outside of the train. Yeah, unless there maybe, I don't know, maybe I just missed it regarding the distance, which actually brings me to another point. I'm a little disappointed by uh, how sparse the double feature or the special features are on the Blu-ray because I would really, really love to see a documentary about the making of this. Everything. Yeah, yeah. The and the more I read up about and, it, it's uh, yeah. it 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 just fascinates me more and more. Like the one of the scenes I'm talking about, that right the um, yeah, fuck it. Should we just sum up the plot right now? Sure, go ahead. I will leave that to you actually, because I have to we're gonna do some more research. Professionalism okay. at its finest, folks. <laughs> a uh, a corporate kind of snob um, is told to go to a remote Swiss hospital to retrieve one of his co-workers um you know one thing leads to another he ends up getting stuck there and it things just go downhill from there and it gets real crazy and he you know he gets real stuck there um and like sucked into this whole mystery and like this weird world of this swiss family and um like the history behind it, and point it, is, it, dude's yeah. stuck at a creepy ass hospital. He has to figure out what's what makes this creepy ass hospital so creepy, and then weird shit happens from there. That's really all you need to know. It is a very simple. It involves problem. incest. A way to give the game away, <laughs> and lots of eels, incest and also for, and eels. Also, Jason Isaacs. 
Which, uh, yeah, he, he fits right into this. I mean, it's like the sinister... Du- I think this is, on balance, a very well-cast movie on the whole. Or in whole, but there's two performances that are really going to come out. Well, three, actually, but I'll get to the third one later. Or that really st- stick out, and so the three that are most prominent. Dane DeHaan and Jason Isaacs. Yeah, and I, I wasn't familiar with them um, prior to this film. I had only seen Spider-Man 2, yeah. which... No, the Amazing Spider-Man 2, actually. Yeah. Which The less said about that, the better. Oof. Yes, oof indeed. I feel like he's That's kind of typecast. That's a PowerPoint presentation, not a movie. I feel like he's kind of typecast to yeah, play. Yeah, as, like, unlikable, or as, like, unlikable, like, weasels. Yeah. Weasel I mean, is a good word credit for where credit is due, he fits that a lot better, and I've seen him in stuff like Valerian, where he, they try to get, cast him as that broadly heroic archetype, and it just, it just doesn't work. Yeah. He, he fits the weasel. Yep. Also, like, yeah, the I mean, corporate... There's, because there's something um, sinister about his whole persona. I mean, yeah, I'm not, not like the guy dislikable. in general. I mean, not like the guy in general. I'm sure he's pretty, pretty, pretty nice in real life. But when you see him on screen, like, he looks some, somewhat shifty. Like, like he's got ulti- some sort of ulterior motive, motive, and you really can't trust everything he says. Yeah, just like a shifty, you know, suit and tie wearing corporate puppet. Yeah. Um, and I do like the um, anti-corporate theme. Um, some of the anti-corporate themes presented in the film, and I think it handles them pretty well. Um, but yeah, very, oh, a very weaselly dude. And you, yeah. I don't know, at least for me, I could never root for him the entire which film, I'm, which I was fine with, honestly, because yeah. I found him intri- again, one of the weird things about, about modern audiences and executive thinking is saying every character has to be like, or likable. As long as the protagonist is interesting, I don't give a shit. I can agree with that. And, and this is a movie that is goes to a lot of unpleasant corners, so trying to find anyone to, like, root for as a moral center feels like an odd way to go. Yeah, no, no character is, like, wholly good. And even and Mia Goth's character, uh, Hannah, or Hannah, is more like, or less or in, like inherently good and more just or in this, or in this ignorant innocent and who gets caught between this truly horrific situation. Yeah. Terrific indeed. I would like to say I would say more of a neutral. This, I mean, she'd been in a couple things before this, but this is really what put her on the map. Like this is, I think this is what landed her the role in uh, Luca Guadagnino's uh, *Superior* remake. Which, speaking of Italian horror, yeah. And she's popped up in other thing, things over the last couple of years, and it's good. It's good because she is really interesting in it. Or in this, like really, like she's not or in go- ghostly and pale and just God staring constantly. I mean, she's not really the antagonist, but she is creepy in this. She is, yeah. Creepy in, like, a way that she, they're trying to make her look, like, innocent, which adds to the creepiness. And, and I, you can just tell that she's older than how they're trying to portray her, but, like... Which, for once, that actually works in the movie's favor. Yeah, and it just adds to the unsettlingness, especially to the uh, towards the end of the film, in, you know, that one particular scene that... Yeah, you know. Bojan Bazelli, that's that's the cinematographer who worked on this. He also shot shot pumpkin. He's he's worked with Abel Ferrara. He's worked worked with I think Richard Link not not Richard Linklater, or who am I thinking? He worked with Michael Bay a couple times. times. He's he's been around 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 and funny enough, this isn't the only horror movie he shot for Gore Verbinski since they did the re, the Ring remake together. Oh nice. I think this is probably some of his best work on balance because this is 
if nothing else, even people who hated this at the time admitted that it was spectacular. And even on a blue right on the Blu-ray I watched it, I mean it's still stunning. Yeah, it is. Um it's very beautiful to look at. Uh a very beautiful film and yet a very disgusting film at the same time. Which it plays in, you know, both sides' favor, I think. Like beautifully disgusting at times. High polished sleaze. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Uh I've never seen so many eels in a film. Neither have I, and I didn't even, th- I mean, like, I don't, lo- I never liked eels before this, or really th- much of them, but, yeah, as you're watching this, I get why people are creeped out by them, because, ugh. Yeah. yeah, I think they're an underrated, like, animal, monster. like a horror animal monster, um, because they're scary, they're, they're terrifying actually, in this. Actually, now I think about it, about it, what other horror movies actually use eels? I'm trying because I really can't think of any right like on the top with eels. Cure for wellness. Funny thing is, if you search horror movie with eels, cure for wellness thing is the first thing that pops up. Yeah, and um, it's something that I really liked about the film is how disgusted so, and kind of terrified I was by all yeah, of the and eels. And genuinely, like, here's the thing: this goes to some like legitimately dark corners that not even a lot of other mainstream horror movies will go to. And not even just like the insta stuff at the end, like just the visual. I mean, well. Well, it's just they're not the kind of movie we get anymore. When he's submerged in that like tank, and the eels are in that tank, I like genuinely like I I felt the chills in my body, and you know felt like the eels were coming for me. Man, <laughs> yeah. Two, um, those two set pieces I talked about being two of the best of the last decade. That's what the um shit. What's it called? Sensory deprivation chamber. That I mean, that scene is legitimately a very very well crafted horror moment. For a moment, it's well shot, it's well cut, I mean, cut all the beats hit, hit like they were supposed to. The sound design is fantastic. Oh yeah, the sound design in general throughout this film is and very, very and good. Someone who is I mean, kind of, I mean, afraid of drowning, like, it really skews, I mean, one of those things that just kind of sticks with me in movies is like the idea of descending to like deep bodies of water. This really fucked with me. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see that. And I mean, like, going back to the sound design, it... They use it in a very sophisticated way that um, like changes the tone and like leads it back to horror every time, like in almost every scene, and just has like an unsettling undertone and like a God. The close-ups in the or in this, how everything, or in it just like this movie is or again. When I say this is the movie or a movie, I'm pretty sure Gorbarinsky wanted to make. I mean it because every detail seems very carefully thought out or thought out or like just from even from the opening with all or like when the mo. It's like when Dana Han's getting more nervous, and they cut to, into a we're in a close-up on a pitcher of water with like the the little we're in droplets dripping down or down the side of it. Maybe it is if you sweat it. Yeah, every 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 item in the film it's has so intense an origin, and it's there for a reason. And you know, it's something that every, I really every did character appreciate is pale as well. Looking, very pale looking, very usually very skinny too. Yeah, everything is intentionally and fully tied together. Even um, like again, thank, also the magic of HD. Every like you see every like fold and like the skin and everything. Thing like it magnet. It's like looking through the whole thing in a magnifying glass. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, creepy indeed. This seems like a hypochondriac's worst nightmare. <laughs> this whole. I'm hoping. Would I'm you consider this right. film? style over substance not really not real i i, I, I would 
I'd say it's more style is the substance. Okay, yeah. I mean, they're because I do think this get ran get some jabs that you already mentioned ran in the jabs at corporate America and the general uncaring and you are you are literally working ourselves to death angle, which not a new statement for horror movie or in movies, but it's at least one worth making. But also, I'd say this is a really interesting indictment on the current state of med or in a medic or in medical care in the world. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Like, don't get me wrong, um, this isn't, like, an anti-vaxxer screed, which, thank Christ for that. Now, nah, but it feels more like a takedown of, like, big, or, in like, certain, big like, pharma. Big, big pharma, that, but also, and also those, like, self-help, or anything, or Yeah, like, like, Goop or something. Yep. Oh, God. Why would you name your company Goop? Like, what I, did you expect? No, I don't know, I feel like this film is... For me, at least I interpreted it more style over substance just because I felt like they were trying too hard to be super deep at times, and it just didn't really click for me. I'm not sure if that's an issue of style over substance, though. Or it just though, didn't seem like there was much substance there. Maybe, but not, but not style over – but that, if anything, that might be trying to bring too much on the substance level, I mean. Hmm. Yeah, possibly. Um I don't know. It just it, the film never really like fully clicked with me. There's um, a lot of and there's a lot of weird, really creepy imagery that. I mean, actually, I'm really glad I did research for this episode because it's fast. I mean, I looked into the locations where they shot this, and it's fascinating. Uh, one of the, I mean, the actual main hospital that they used for most of the corridor and doors and the like the individual room scene was I mean, took 32 years to build. I mean, how was mostly a German military hospital and even housed Adolf Hitler for a couple months. Wow. Yep. Now, I mean, it's been abandoned I mean, since 2007. It's mostly a ghost town, but still. Oh, yeah, and one of uh, Germany's most uh, notorious serial killers conducted most of his business around there around the same time. Dang. That's a fun fact. <laughs> yep. Well, a few fun facts, but still. I'm like, yeah, this feels like a perfect place to shoot this. There were also a few castles that were never used for, I think, exterior sequences and courtyards with, whose names escape me at the moment. Yep. It's a very unified-looking film, film, and whoever the or in production is, or in the art direct, or in director and the location scouting is, give them a raise because they went above and beyond with this. Oh, totally. I feel like this film kind of did what Midsummer did for Sweden. You know, it did the yeah, same thing for uh, Switzerland. Yep. Kind of um, creeped you out about that European country. Yeah. Your European like country scary. Way. Yeah. <laughs> Again, this is a we're in a, a new take on on well worn material. Like gothic horror is something that's older than is a subgenre that's older than film. You know, like it predates the Universal monster movies, like Old Dark House and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was popular in literature. I mean, uh, like Dracula, like the Roger Corman, I mean, like the Roger Corman adaptations of Edgar Allan Poe, or in a Poe again, Crimson Peak, or in a Peak, pretty much half the movie starring Vincent Price. Right, most or in horror movies from the '40s that weren't made by Universal right, or monster-related, even the ones that were. Yeah. A lot of horror ghost stories are this way. Wait, like again, this. I mean, even if you haven't seen one of these movies, you know how one of them looks, feels, and acts. Yeah. What What is that film? That it's not Dracula, but it's about a vampire. Nosferatu. Yes, yes, Nosferatu. Kinda. That's kind. 
that's I mean, more still, uh, German expressionist. That's more. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I would consider it gothic too. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I got, I mean, like, but there's specific strains. Like again, this feels I mean, like one of the one of those old orange Mario Baba films, like Black Sunday or Baron Blood. Which Black Sunday, if you haven't if you haven't seen that, listeners, go and check that out because that is legitimately one of the best horror movies of the '60s. What is it called? Black Sunday. Sounds scary. Or in a lot of the, or in them, here's the thing. You want to know why those or in stand out from other movies in this subgenre? The sleaze. They're blood. Or they're bloody. They have a lot of nudity. Their subject matter is very lurid. It feels like or in like a CD paperback novel. You'd get or in get it or in like the back of a bookstore. Or that's treated like, oh yeah, that. Go in the back and get that yourself. Or like be sold under the counter or something. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of nudity in this film also. Um, oh God, yeah. And just it just added and none to of it appealing. Yeah, no, none of it appealing. Not to say I wanted to be appealing. Not to say. Yeah, right. yeah. Right, but God, very right, when I talk about like so pretty much of the skin looking gross in this, that's what I mean. Like again, like folds and like wrinkles, right, wrinkles and like just I mean, like the little scabs and hairs and whatnot pale tone i mean it even makes a point like to saying you feel healthier when you're sick or in a second like that no or any that we're all just kind of being gaslit by two different sources yeah and the the film conspiratorial when i say it out loud (laughs) no no we have not become info wars don't don't report us to like the alt-right police or whatever or the anti we're not all right is what i'm saying um no but this film made me it made me like uncomfortable about my body in general, which I feel like it was supposed to. Like particularly yeah. with the teeth, a lot of oh, teeth. God. That's the other scene that I think stand out. Like, and again, another thing that really like gets at me in horror movies that just makes me squirm is like anything that happens to like teeth, like getting knocked, knocked in or anything, because that's just the pain. I can like feel the pain of it just by seeing it. And man, the the bit where they remove Dane DeHaan's tooth is just legitimately nerve wracking. Like. Oh yeah, legitimately terrifying, which you know, yep. it was trying to do. So I applauded for that. Yep. Uh, I, and I like that the movie goes for like these bit or in big broad strokes near that. Or near the end, like I'm, you were really like, disappointed by it. That's why I liked it and why I was interested in because yeah, it's artsy or artsy. But it, again, this is still a movie from 20th Century Fox from the guy who made Rango and Pirates of the Caribbean. It's gonna go or in, or in swing for the fences and go crazy. Even if it goes to territory that I'm shocked the studio let him get away. I mean, like, even when, like, the original origin of the cat, of the castle, it was like 200 years ago, when it was some sort of like science experiment or alchemy or anything, and it, show, it shows the original, uh, or in, I don't know, headmaster, I guess, warden, whatever you call him. They show his wife tied to a stake about to be burned with her womb getting disemboweled. Was that the drawing? The drawing. I'm like, even the drawing. Yeah. Jesus, that's a graphic image for a movie movie with this much money put behind it the scene that got me the most viscerally was like when they cut open that cow and all the eels came out of it Ugh. that's that's really what got me and, you, and you're never really quite sure if they're there or not until like the very end of the movie yeah when they are there and they uh put it down yep. you know oh where they're all where they they cut to all those rows of people in iron we're going to siphon to make whatever their their quote-unquote cure is yeah and it, like it's like human broth. <laughs> now available at your local grocery store. Like they they shove the eels down his throat and uh. Oh god, with like a two, and you can hear like the plastic bending to, or two, and like him gag, 
and it just like <laughs> yeah and that i applaud the sound design for that because i think a lot of the horror and discomfort from that is from hearing it rather than just seeing it and uh there it are definitely parts that are goofy, but whenever it goes for stuff like that, it legitimately feels visceral and unhinged. I mean, like, not the fun kind of gross out, like a Sam Raimi or an early Peter Jackson movie, but more, oh, yeah, you've seen, you've seen that shit? That's for pussies. Wait till you see this. Yeah. I mean, there was there was a good bit of campiness um, and, you know. Especially near the end where Jason Isaacs tears off his face and basically is the lizard from The Amazing Spider-Man. Like a swamp man, swamp thing. Swamp, swamp thing. <laughs> Wes Craven did the live action swamp thing in Mac in '82. That movie's fun. I would like to see that. That sounds pretty interesting. You know, I have the comic book adaptation. actually really of it. Or no, of it. It's fantastic. And it I feel like we back. could cover that. Yeah, we'd. Yeah, that'll be on the list eventually. Nice. Anyway, I remember back on topic. Well, slightly on topic. I remember when we were watching this. I sent you a meme from a Harvey Birdman man where it's a. Right where it's the one, the first episode where it's like, please state your name and or name and occupation for the re- record. Lizard man, lizard man, lizard man. I thought I thought that was so funny. Jason very, Isaacs is a lizard. Very clever joke. Yeah, he's. I I wouldn't consider him lizard necessarily because he doesn't have a nose and he he has that like that void of I nose. Know. Oh yeah, thing. Well, he, he's still a human looking face, but like really like rot, like like really rotting, slimy and rotted out. Like it's still human, but. It's the color, and color, and like the sh- the glistening of it that makes it look like reptilian. Like yeah. I know. Yeah. Just grimy and green. Also, when this movie actually has to get like not ju- not just gross but like violent, man, does it deliver any of the goods? Because it is a hideous look, and kind of violent. Once, but a kind of a visceral yeah kind of way, but not. Hey, like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just go full into spoilers. When he gets like the shovel, like and smashed into his head. It's like, yeah, like an entertaining discomfort in like a a, a gore sense. If that like it recognizes sense. how diseased, for lack of a better word, that its subject. And this is kind of a way of like pulling back just to make sure people aren't completely turned off. Yeah, um, I got some major The Shining vibes. Yeah, from that that scene, like, yeah, there's a couple there's a couple shots that, that I feel intentional, but the rest remind me like underground cave, like stuff like the hills have eyes. Or just kind of okay. sit yeah, I mean, not not necessarily that scene in particular, but just like, um, what, there's one the, shot of Dana kind of, walking with a shovel down the hall where his eyes look really sunken, right and deep in, and that looks like a very intentional homage. But other than that, I don't really like the long hallways and the interiors. Um, yeah. I don't know, stuff I, like that, that kind of reminded yeah. me of The Shining. Um, yeah, that, but, okay, actually, otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, it reminded me of Shutter Island a lot, too. Outside of or in the bits or in that, are, again, are, like, outside of the hospital, seeing, like, the orderlies and the patient, and it's just waltzing around and doing whatever it is they do. That's the only part that directly reminds me of Shutter Island, because there is a key difference that I think separates the film. One, Shutter Island is mostly psychological thriller, while this is full-on horror, but one... Everything's in his head in Shutter Island. Here, it's real. And not only that, but it is bizarre and mar and labyrinthine and all of the worst fears confirmed. Yeah. Well, we don't know if it's all real in the beginning. There's a greater moral ambiguity to Shutter Island, too, which I'd agree is the better movie of these two, but ultimately, it's different strokes. We're not, or it's like comparing apples to oranges. 
Yeah, yeah, just very different things, but uh, I don't know. It, it it just reminded me of Shutter Island, probably just because of the location and like seeing all the patients and you know, kind of insane asylum. Asylum. That's more of a vibes. mental hospital. This is more of a, a sanitarium. Yeah. Okay. A sanitarium. That was insensitive, I guess. Um, I don't know. You you know what I mean, though. I mean, it's a it's a casual term, and you didn't. It's a casual term. So people, and plus for this genre, it fits. So, yeah, sure because he mad. kind of he kind of goes goes crazy towards the end, mm-hmm. or so we think. Like when I'm when he yeah, like that uh, Joker style smile he has when he's riding the bike, and how the background looks like it's like smeared. Yeah, I, mean, I did like that final shot. Like though. it doesn't look how locations look when you're like you know when you're in a car when you when you have like a camera point out the window and everything's like passing by. It looks like a very hyper stylized version of that and. I like that some of the effects don't look entirely real in this. Yeah. Do you, do you think that was intentional? I do. I really, really like that, right, that some of the effects do right, look really out there and bold and almost comic booky. Right, like they also look like right, like Jack Davis or Bernie Wrightson drawings come to life. Like the right, like those hyper detailed, really slimy, gross looking com- like horror comic illustrations. Yeah, it is pretty entertaining when it when it does get to that level um, towards the end, and like when they're in that that cave or um whatever's below the castle i think it's a, a, the a lair cave. basically his evil lair yeah evil lair is a Which, better word yeah another thing that reminds me a lot of like the 70s gothic horror movies yeah everything involved, like the vials and vases everything involving jason isaacs once he tears his face off reminds me of the abominable dr fives i have not seen that but uh another great write, movie is vincent price you should probably check out try avoid the sequel at all costs Anyway, and speaking of which, which the, I this does something that a lot of horror movies do, or don't do these days is that it uses dream logic very well, in my opinion. And like again, just like the, from the opening scene where he's walking around and in the sauna, or in sauna, and the whole room feels like it's closed in around him. It's just like this endless away of white tile bricks, or in bricks until the smog or in the not smog, so the steam clears away when he's actually able to find a path. That it legitimately is strange and surreal, and God, I love I love it when horror movies like swing for the fences like this. Yeah, that that scene I really I really did enjoy. Um, like when the production design, uh, when it, I mean, like when production design is incorporated into storytelling, I think that's very when beautiful. Tru- and when 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 a film deliberately when it makes when it makes you not trust what you're seeing, which is a very very hard thing to accomplish. Yeah, and to keep that up for, you know, the majority of the film. Yep. Especially a movie that I that I haven't said this already yet, and I'll say it now, is two and a half hours long. Yeah, it's. It, I I do feel like it could have been cut down a good bit. I'm not sure what you cut though. Outside of maybe like a little bit of the scene where they go into town, in town, and the or and he tries like, to phone his bosses. That's really the only bit that actually feels like a diversion from the plot. I think again. I think a lot of times when people complain about movies, being, I mean, is that it should have been trimmed at a script level? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see that um, being like the proper way to phrase that. Um, I don't know. It just, it just felt long for me. Um, it does. It, it definitely feels its length. I'll say that. But for, yeah, I don't mind that personally. And uh, another th- thing that uh, people can. Compl- Plan about not with regards to this movie, but just a general schism that I actually think this film could be used for digital cinematography. 
because I were or if I were to make the case or in case for using or in digital cinematography as a legitimate tool and or an advantage for modern filmmakers, it would be this and a handful of other movies. Yeah, this this definitely would be one because of them. This is or again dressing or taking old ideas and making them fresh and brand new. New that's part of it because again it looks very and for movies disease it's also very slick, very polished, very precise. Size like everything is very clean and to the point, point except when it need, needs to get real nasty and down in the dirt. And I like that they didn't try to make it look vintage um, visually. They didn't add like a grain effect or any noise. How I mean, I see a lot of digital films shot on digital, um, you know, trying to emulate the film look, but I think it worked. Yeah, with the... a lot of the time it's just obnoxious because it's clearly like a like those scratch it. And it's like it's people trying to imitate the movie Grindhouse and not Grindhouse movies. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, but it it really worked with digital, um, yeah. you know, the digital medium to uh, really like tell the story. And um, but I really like how and how the camera just glides in his path. You know, and it even makes like stuff that is notoriously hard to shoot with and make beautiful like overcast sky, skies and really muted muddy tones look fantastic in color. Good got yeah. that one shot of Ern of Dane DeHaan's character and uh, Mia Ern Goss standing against those clouds in that giant pool pool of water. It Ern, it's so so oh, yeah. pretty. One of the one of the best shots of the film. Um, also Ern like the water he, heavy heavy super dense fog. Um, it captured that really well. Shadows and fog, two of the most effective elements in horror. It's been the, in that way since the early days of cinema, and it will not change going forward. I guess so. At least in my opinion. Yep. Actually, speaking of that one particular shot, we're in joke in my notes where it's a imagine if you sma earn, smashed uh, black, black narcissist and Brian Yuzna's society in one movie. I that that's too sophisticated for me. I I I don't get either of those references. I'm sorry. Trust me, society is anything where it has a man's face sewn onto an asshole. That movie is anything but sophisticated. Black Narcissus is very sophisticated. It's a Pound Pressburger, which is this very like lavish location. If you look, and if you love like old style or in Hollywood filmmaking, this is in like the old map paintings and whatnot. You have to see Black Narcissus. It's on the Criterion Channel. It's legitimately worth your time nice the setting of that with like the tr in the trashiness of society basically this is gonna be a bitch to edit because of all the pauses i feel like another theme of this film is kind of anyway. like uh i feel like another theme of this film is uh a commentary on nursing homes because we you know towards the beginning of the film we start out in an american nursing home um and i don't know i feel like it depicts that in a negative way and as does... fact, I'd agree. And the fact, and I feel like it's a deliberate choice that not only did they reveal that the person running it is 200 years old, years old and that all the orderlies are at, in between, like, I think they're like 20s and like their early 40s, but pretty much every patient is at least 60. I mean, this place on that's on the service is very serene and very tranquil, but it's literally just a death house. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's Jack just barging in here to say, uh, if this episode has been sounding weirder than usual and it sounds kind of cut off near the end, i.e. no resolution, 
That's because we've been messing around with a new Discord bot because the other one went on the frets and, uh, yeah, we're just having a bit of technical issues. We'll have those re resolved soon enough. Anyway, Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you for listening. Take care.